All right, so we're gonna practice. We're gonna practice our joke laugh. So say I said something like, "Hey, how does Moses make his coffee?" He brews it. So that that was a test. You have to laugh. <laughs> Every one of our listeners is gonna be able to hear if you can't laugh. No, we're. I think we're good. You ask me. Hey, Father Peter, how does Moses make his coffee? He brews it. That, that was even funnier. <laughs> Does that sound good? So we want you guys to be loud and be super energetic and make us sound like we're awesome and that we're super funny. And um, I think that's good. So if you guys are ready to get started, Emily. I, I think we have a song that's been composed for the Lanky guys. Yeah. That is the song they've been singing to me all week, <laughs> when, except not with Lanky Guys. Yeah. So, welcome everybody. This welcome. is The Word on the Hill. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Father. My name is not Father Peter. My name is Scott Powell. <laughs> my name is Scott Powell. <laughs> and you are live with the Camp Boy staff training. Camp Boy say hello. Now, do, do they know? Do they know what uh, Camp Boy Tiwa is out there? Do they know? No. The do the people, listeners yeah, know? The, the people who are in the microphone. <laughs> This has become, it's kind of cool, this has actually become sort of a, um, a summer tradition that Father Peter and I always do a little live podcast up here. I actually thought people were getting totally sick of it and just done with it, um, but then a bunch of people last night were like, are you going to do the podcast? So we're doing the podcast. So yeah, um, Camp Boitiwa, for those of you who are listening, we are a Catholic adventure program out here uh, near Jamestown outside of Boulder, Colorado. We take young people, middle school, high school students, and even college students into the wilderness, and we teach them about the Catholic faith through adventure. Um, and we educate them about who they are, who they are in relationship with God, to themselves, to the people around them, and with the created world. And we do it through uh, some really cool stuff. So this is our college-age staff. So we have college students and seminarians from all over the United States. I think we have some of the best, and I'm not trying to give you guys big heads, but we had hundreds of people apply for these 31 <laughs> spots. And these are the guys who are here. So we're teaching about how to catechize, how to survive in the outdoors, um, how to lead trips, how to unpack those trips and those adventures in ways that actually make sense in kids' everyday lives. Yeah, and actually help people enter into the sacramental nature of reality, both big S and small s sacramental, that it's like everything is pointing towards the glory of God, and that's really the great gift that You're we are pointing have. toward the glory of God. I am pointing towards the glory of God, especially my hair, because I did not sleep uh, the, quite the way that I was expecting to sleep last night, <laughs> which was in one single position, you know, sprawled uh, out yes. my sleeping bag over to the side because I just managed to make it to the tent. And Absolutely. After so they, they put me on a death march into the mountains. No, it was really volunteered good. Volunteered for the I death did. march. I did. It was really good. It was to the twin sisters. So because we're in the wilderness and because things are weird in the wilderness, we haven't had internet up on our property or in our offices. So this week's podcast is brought to you by the wonderful donation of the Magnificat magazine from the good people at Magnificat. So there's the shout out to those folks. I actually think we have a few shout outs today. We wanted to give a shout out to your parents, yep. Marie and Mickey Musset, who were here last night. Um, And we had another yeah. shout out, but I can't remember. Oh, to uh, so we're here with Gage Shirley. He's one of our staff members this summer, and we wanted to give a shout out to his friend Fallon Scanlon, who's out in probably somewhere in Kansas. What? Oh, at new staff training for Focus down in uh, Ave Maria, Florida. Awesome. So here's to you, Fallon. You um, obviously think that Father Peter and I are cooler than we actually are, <laughs> based on what Gage has told us. So 
Anyway, here's to you. Um, is this is weird because we we've had this streak the last. I don't know, a couple months where we're like, these readings are incredible, and they all fit together like a glove and a puzzle. This is amazing. <laughs> we have, I think, some of the most obscure. It's like it's the first Sunday of Ordinary Time after Easter now. It's the 11th Sunday. Yeah. But we're back in Ordinary Time. It's like the church just opened the junk drawer and like, all right, we'll put these readings together. Dude, have you ever had that experience where you're reading scripture? And no offense to the church. No, I, I no offense. Everyone's like, I don't know if I can laugh at that. I don't know. <laughs> you can. Have you guys ever had that experience in scripture where you're like, you're reading and you're like, dude, I have never read this before. <laughs> And I'm not sure what this actually means or if there's any sort of context to it at all. And I kind of was having one of those moments as I was reading Ezekiel. I was like, I'm really not that familiar. And which, by the way, let's talk about which readings we have. If you have your oh, Magnificat right. or your Bibles, you can follow along. So our first reading is coming from the book of Ezekiel. So our first reading is looking at Ezekiel chapter 17, verses 22 through 24. And then our responsorial psalm is uh, going to be Psalm 92. 92. That was a good enunciation on that. <laughs> yeah, somebody told me to enunciate earlier. So there we go. 92, 2 to 3, 13 to 14, 15 to 16. And the response is from 2A. And Father Peter, for those of us who don't know this, what is the technical term for the response that we actually sing? Uh, 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 antiphon. It's the responsicle, isn't responsicle. it? Responsicle. No, it's not. That, that's, that's What's not the responsicle? Did we make that up? There's a well. There's a letter. So so the letter that you put in uh, in terrible in front of this is called a versicle. Oh, the That's versicle. The, the versicle, V with the, the line in it is a, is actually a a, a specific letter style so that weird. no font includes, and you have to make it up yourself. So if you're a font designer out there, little people in the microphone, you can make versicles for all the people in the church who need them. We challenged our listeners to make their favorite version of like a summer versicle, like a that we can feed our kids. <laughs> It was much funny. <laughs> My <laughs> wife is laughing, everybody. Thank you. Somebody see, thinks I'm funny. See, this is the thing that this is the experience that we have is we think we're incredibly funny, but yeah. and, and so we laugh at each other, but we have no idea. So you guys are helping us understand the thousands of people who all just stare blankly at their iPods. Just going It helps like, them get through traffic. Yeah, it, and laundry. And laundry. All right, our second reading is from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter five or six through ten. And then our gospel is Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 34. That it is. All right, so we should dive into Ezekiel. Okay, you said you had no context for Ezekiel. Ezekiel is actually a really cool book. This is just a weird section of a cool book. So yeah, yeah, I like Here's Ezekiel. what's going on in Ezekiel. We have been actually here at Camp Boitiwa the last few weeks. We've been kind of marching through the story of salvation history and what's going on and how this all fits together and really what this has to do with our Christian faith, um, what the story is, because... If you don't understand the narrative of the scriptures, you're not going to care about the scriptures. You're not going to continue reading them or really get anything out of them. So we're still in Gen we're like in Genesis 12 now after two weeks. So we're still cruising right along. Oh, wow. <laughs> so we're going to make a jump this morning and talk a little bit about Ezekiel. But here, here's basically what happens. Here's the nutshell. And our listeners, you know, we've talked about this a lot. So God forms this people called Israel. Abraham, he makes these promises to. That's what we talked about last time. We were talking about Abraham here in the group. God's going to form this great nation from Abraham, from his children. They're going to be called Israel. And God's going to call this nation of Israel to be a light to the world, to be the nation, the one group of people that he calls to go out. So we've we talked about the problem of sin and kind of where that comes from, what the roots are of that. God calls one group of people to go out to this world of sin and bring all of God's family back together. And they fail at that. That's the fundamental story of the Old Testament is that the people of God 
are supposed to call people back, but they end up becoming like the nations or worse than the nations or even worse than that, driving the nations further away from God because nobody wants to be like these idiots that are that are running around. Right. And that's I say it that way because that's sometimes the experience that the world has of us as Christians. Right. I don't want to be like those people because they're crazy or they're mean or they're. I don't know. T- take your pick of whatever they are. So this is Israel's dodgy. problem. Dodgy. Very Sto- d- dodgy. Stodgy. Not dodgy. Or dodgy yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Dodgy. Stinky. Stinky. Um, so That's only Camp Waitiwa staff, actually. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, no, it's true. Actually. Sometimes we're, it we're happens. We're a stinky group. <laughs> so God just, decides that, again, just, we, know that Jake. we know that evil can't go on forever. So God says, I'm not going to allow my family to continuously be pushed away from me. So this nation that's actually driving everybody further away, I actually have to stop them. So Israel has to be punished because they're actually, not only are they not bringing people back to the one true God, they're driving the nations further away from them. So God essentially says, okay, this nation, which was supposed to be a light, has now become this nationalistic symbol and idol to themselves. They are glorifying themselves. They're worshiping idols. They're forming these weird political alliances with nations because they want political power and all this stuff. And he says, no, that's got to stop. So Jerusalem will actually be destroyed. There'll be a nation who takes over Israel. First the Assyrians, then the Babylonians are going to come. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They'll destroy the temple, not because, well, simply because the temple has become the symbol of what it's not supposed to be, this way of keeping the nations away from God. And God says, no, I don't want that. So he sends them this nation called Babylon, who, if you think about it, Israel's job was to convert nations like Babylon. Now there is this nation called Babylon who doesn't know God, who is bloodthirsty, who is going to come and destroy Israel, partially because Israel didn't do her job in the first place. So the book of Ezekiel is really about the story of Israel going down, of Jerusalem being destroyed. And the first, um, I don't know, like 19 chapters of Ezekiel are all about here's what's coming. Here's what's going to happen. Jerusalem, you have been so unfaithful. That actually, I was reading through this. Chapter 16, right before what we got, actually describes – this is a really – powerful, um, ugly symbol. It actually describes Israel like a prostitute who pays her clients to go and, and be adulterous with her, which is just pathetic. And God's like, that's what you've become. You're paying other nations to worship their gods and to, and to follow them as gods. And to, you're, this is just awful. You have Jeez. no idea who you are. So all of these chapters are about how Israel is going to be destroyed. All these nations are going to take part until you get to the very end of chapter 17. And that's our reading which is the thing about the scriptures is even when the Bible is super dark, super ugly, super laden with punishment and, and gloom and doom, there's always hope kind of interspersed in there. And the last part of 17 is this little piece of hope. And this is sort of why Father Peter said the themes for the podcast podcast today should be Arbor Day. Arbor Day, absolutely. all that trees. Uh, trees and seeds. Like, it's trees kind of seeds. good. It's really beautiful. I, I feel like it's an appropriate one to have from Boulder, you know, absolutely. or outside of Boulder, we're or in, Boulder County. We're in the or wild. Jamestown. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All of those places. <laughs> the There's a Venn diagram you can create. Exactly. <laughs> So it says this, this is verse 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself, so again, he has just finished saying how Jerusalem will be destroyed, be leveled, be brought down. And then he says, but this is what I say. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I'll break off a tender sprig from its, top, uh, from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. And on that mountain of heights, uh, the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and it will become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They'll find shelter in the shade of its branches. Uh, all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, 
bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I'll dry up the green tree and I'll make the dry tree flourish, right? So here, here's the point. Um, there's trees all over the Old Testament. Have you guys ever seen the tree imagery of the Old Testament? What is the what does a tree in the Old Testament usually represent? Anybody know? It uh, represents Israel. I was asking them. No, you talk to me. I'm sorry. You're I'm right. feeling left out. You guys are you just love them. Observing. I'm just kidding. This is this. You guys, I, I'm always a little snarky. This is this is my job on the podcast is to be snarky. So no, I think it's Israel. Israel always is represented by a tree, um, and that's really important. So basically, what is what God has just said is the tree is going to be chopped down from the very most t- top, but we're going to take a little shoot from the top. Well, here, here's the thing. You got to combine. Here's where the Bible is just weird because it's like a giant jigsaw puzzle and you got to put it together. We always give the people in Jesus' time kind of a hard time for not recognizing Jesus when he came. But you got to go back in the Old Testament. You're like, well, okay, yeah, the Bible says there's going to be this Messiah, but it says he's going to be a prince of peace and he's going to be kind of beat up and suffer, but he's also going to defeat all of his enemies and he's going to come in with a war horse, but he's going to come in with humility and he's going to kill his enemies, but he's going to save his enemies and he's going to love everyone. He's going to hate everybody. And you're just like, what is it? What is happening here? Who is this person? So in other places in Isaiah, it actually talks about the tree of Israel being chopped down. And you might remember that really famous prophecy in Isaiah talks about it's the Christmas prophecy, right? There shall be a shoot that comes forth from the stump of of Jesse. Jesse. So after the tree is cut down, there's going to be a shoot. This is similar, right? I'm going to take the sh- a shoot from the very top of this branch, and I'm going to plant it somewhere else. Which, which is, is kind of which weird. is like a family tree. I mean, if yeah, you actually totally. think about uh, how, how everything is growing, you have roots, and then you guys are the branches of your family tree. You guys are, you know, and some of you are, have leaves, and some of you don't. <laughs> some of you have shoots, and some of you do not. <laughs> shoot! I should have said oh, uh, a different very good, analogy. Very good. See, this is the thing. So in its simplest way, so I know this is, these are complicated readings, so the more complicated something is, and the, more, the less I understand it, the more I talk about it, which is <laughs> counterintuitive. And the more I make really bizarre puns and That's jokes true. about it, because I don't quite get it all, Nobody all the time. So. But here's what I'm seeing. So just picture this for a second. Israel's going to be cut down. That's what Ezekiel just said. But again, if we know the rest of the prophets, there's going to be, and actually, even before you get this whole thing of Isaiah, there's going to be a shoot that comes from the stump. This says, even before I cut it down, I'm going to take a shoot from the top of it. And then I'm going to cut it down. Then I'm going to destroy it. But there's this little remnant that I'm going to save. And I'm going to plant it somewhere else. Right now, God is saying, Israel, you're going to be cut down. But there's going to be a remnant of you that I take off to Babylon. And I actually plant up there. Israel will not depart. There's going to be punishment. It's going to hurt. We have to wipe out this nationalistic symbol they've made to themselves. But there's going to be a remnant that's going to be spared. It's going to be taken. And it's going to be planted. Um, on a high and lofty mountain, which as soon as as soon as I actually see you see the uh, the mountain imagery, the, there's one mountain that's important. I mean, which is Mount Zion, really. I mean, I don't I mean, we have Mount Sinai that's important, but I don't see any sort of new planting on Mount Sinai. I do. You well, do not Sinai. I see another mountain that's important. Oh, talk to so me. So here's what I'm saying. And maybe I'm stretching twin, this. Twin sisters. Twin sisters. <laughs> exactly right. Thanks for laughing. everyone. Um, picture the imagery. Israel suffers, right? That's what we know. They're going to go into exile. Things are going to get ugly. It's going to be hard. We talked in Salvation History the other day that when Jesus was born, he is born into this time of kind of national strife for Israel. They've lost their land. They've lost their king. They've lost this idea that they were supposed to be a blessing. But yet there is this piece of wood that's going to be planted on top of a mountain. And this piece of wood planted on top of a mountain is going to be this sign that all nations of the earth will eventually find their home in like like birds on a tree. 
What do you think? Have you ever thought of an image of a little piece of wood planted on a mountain someplace that has become the sign of salvation for all nations? The cross. I think there's an image of the cross that's, I mean, it's kind, you kind of have to stretch it, but I think deeply embedded in here, there is another mountain. It's, the, it's not just the mountain of Zion. It's Calvary right across the valley that's going to be this little remnant. It's, the thing I'm getting from this reading is that it's the last thing you expect. Israel's supposed to be this great, powerful tree. God says, I'm just going to take this small, seemingly insignificant piece, and yeah. that's what I want you to fo focus on. Imagine you know, the insignificance of the cross, yeah. of this guy who's up on this mountain, this nothing. But that, says God in Ezekiel, is going to be what all nations eventually flock to. The birds will find their nests in that. Well, I think actually it's important to even think about what he's meaning by the bird analogy, too. Because uh, the, what is a bird? A bird is the one who goes upon the heights, who's actually able to transition between the earth and the heavens. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, my, my focus team director, I found his picture in my Bible. As I was <laughs> There's his head. It's a bookmark I have. Oh, my anyway. gosh. That was so funny. I got a text from that group with their, their prayer journal was one, one or more of those heads. Those heads are, like, everywhere scattered throughout Ubiquitous Josh Santo heads. Yeah, Josh Santo head. Anyway. So, um, so you guys are a bunch of birds. <laughs> in case you were wondering where you fit in the reading, you're a bird. It's true. And birds are actually going to come back up in the, um, in the readings. So that it's, okay, it's kind of a weird, kind of an obscure first reading. We kind of have to put the pieces together. The history makes it make more sense. But now we'll, we'll try to tie these together. So the psalm, psalm's actually pretty we'll straightforward. Try. says, Lord, it is good to give thanks to you. That's actually the, the versicle. <laughs> but if you read on, you're like, okay, what does that have to do with anything? Well, if you read the, the, the actual um, stanzas, I suppose, yep. it's good to give thanks to you, O Lord, to sing praise to your name most high, to proclaim your kindness at dawn, your faithfulness throughout the night. Ju the just one shall flourish, what? Like a palm tree, like a cedar of Lebanon, he shall grow. They that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the, in the courts of God. As, as I'm hearing this, I'm wondering, I mean, like there's a lot of traditions about what the wood of the cross is actually made of, but it sounds like it probably might have been cedar according to the prophecies. I don't know, though. I don't know either, but that makes sense. Well, we don't know. Because we, we have the cedar spruit from the top that was transplanted to the well stump said. of Jesse. Then yep. there's the cedar of Lebanon. He sh like a cedar of Lebanon, he shall grow. But I don't know. I mean, again, or palm tree. Palm tree doesn't make much sense because it's really. Well, it says like a palm tree. Like a palm tree. It's a tree. metaphor. Because it has branches. Right. Okay. Well, a palm tree. Simile? It's, sort of, it's a simile. Thank, Thank you, you for you, grammaticarians. <laughs> but here, here's the point Psalm 92, it's, it's a celebration of the righteous rule of God, right? But what it's describing is that the righteous person is like a tree. Who's planted? So, I mean, we're getting this imagery. What is a tree? What should we be thinking about trees as we're going through the mass this week? Oh, a tree. It's kind of like trees can be cut down if they become a little bit too big for themselves. But even if they're cut down, even if they look like they're destroyed, there can be shoots that are taken and planted somewhere else. And that tree that seems to die and seems to be cut down can actually create new life with abundance, an abundant new life, and shoots and seeds can come from that dead body of a tree that will grow forth from it. So there's imagery, I think, of the resurrection, of the cross that's embedded throughout. That, that's what the church wants us sort of thinking about. She's not going to spell it out explicitly, but she wants the imagery of trees being cut down and new life coming forth from death. I think that's what, as we begin ordinary time again, that's the imagery that the psalm's trying to evoke kind of in us. Yeah, so, absolutely. And that actually is, I think, a, well, unless you have something else on the psalm. Nope, nothing. Because that's actually a good segue into the second reading of St. Paul. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I as I was looking at Second Corinthians, trying to make a connection is yeah. W- sometimes it's really hard to make a connection to the second reading if you're ever paying attention to the Sunday readings. You're like, how does this fit with everything else? And sometimes it it's do- it doesn't. But I I just think that like as I think it we're does today. See, this is why we pay you the big bucks. But like, this is the thing: is that um, one thing, one connection that I'm seeing is yeah. that as we're dwelling and dealing in a lot of metaphor and analogy and simile and some of the abstract relations and the sacramental nature of things, I think sometimes we can have it be something further away from us. And so we say, oh, okay, yeah, it's like a tree and we're birds. No, like St. Paul is getting us into the body. He's saying what you do really matters. This is a concrete expression and a reality. And so... Um, with yes. that, that's all. I literally all I have to say about the second reading. Well, and that's exactly what he's saying because I think we can get really abstract with trees and bird metaphors, similes, <laughs> whatever. Um, Metimonies, synecdoches, <laughs> Schenectady, New York. Um, I think we have a listener from Schenectady, New oh, York. You I think we do. From they, them. Yeah, they've emailed us. Here's before. to you, Schenectady. What? What? Uh, good night, Schenectady. Um, chapter five of Second Corinthians. Here, there, there's a context which I think. So sometimes I think we can let the trees and the birds get in the way of what the actual point is. And Paul is actually kind of pushing aside the imagery to get to the heart of the reality. Here's 2 Corinthians. I love the book of 2 Corinthians. I was talking to, who was I talking to about 2 Corinthians? I think it was Sarah who's up in the house. But 2 Corinthians, for, I don't know if you guys have read 1 Corinthians. I love 1 Corinthians, but if you've ever read through 1 Corinthians, it's probably Paul's harshest letter he, uh, there's the book of Galatians where he calls them literally in the Greek, oh, stupid Galatians. But yeah, yeah, he, it's in 1 Corinthians that he's just really, he excommunicates somebody. He calls them babies. He says they don't know what they're doing. He, he like builds them up, especially in the first letter. He's like, oh, you guys are so smart. Nope. Wrong. You guys. <laughs> except like, that you're not. Except that you're not. He like butters them up and like kind of weasels in there and then yeah. like gets like frost on the top of a mountain and breaks apart those boulders that there are their hard hearts. I was going to think you were going to say he chops them down like a tree. Oh, I grilled really them like shoot, a treat. I missed that down. one. I know. Been yeah, awesome. It was disappointing. Yeah, I was just thinking about our hike yesterday. Is really what I was thinking about. But he does. He does kind of build them up, and he'd be like, he's like, here's what the the virtuous person looks like, kind of being like the Psalms. He's like, and you are none of that. None of that is you. You're babies. <laughs> and the Corinthians had a whole lot of problem. Really immoral city. The church was a disaster. There was a leader of the church that was apparently having, you know, committing. Uh, um, what's that? What's that terrible sin called? Non-adultery, but with his with his mom. Uh, yeah, yeah, in- yeah, incest. Yeah, yeah. There's incest going. It's bad stuff. So you get the second letter of Corinthians, and all of a sudden now Paul's tone in Second Corinthians is a lot different than what it was in the first. And in Second Corinthians, all of a sudden he's on the defensive, which tells me that there was actually a letter in between in which they kind of and Paul defends himself throughout Second Corinthians, basically trying to show why he's a legitimate apostle and why they should listen to him. And you get the impression that they've come back and they've said, look, we don't like being insulted. We are pretty big deals out here in Corinth. Um, Who do you think you are? You are nothing, Paul. And basically they come back and they're like, you have no credibility. You can't talk to us because look at you. Look at the prophets of the Old Testament. They're like Moses. They glowed when they came down from mountains. David was a mighty warrior. Look at you, Paul. You're you're short. You're bald. You can't speak very well. You're always sick. You're shipwrecked all the time. Everybody keeps beating you up. Everybody keeps beating you up. And you're trying to convince us that you're a legitimate apostle. You look like garbage. You're 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 nothing. You're You're the scum of the earth. That is kind of what they say. And he comes back in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, I think, is one of the most profound books of the New Testament. But few of us actually read it because Paul, his defense against all that is basically, yes, I am incredibly beat up. Yes, I am nothing. Yes, I am kind of pathetic when I stand before you. 
And that's precisely why I'm the best possible apostle. Because in my weakness, you don't have to think that I'm the one that you're worshiping. You can actually look past me to what I'm pointing to. If I was this great, powerful, noble figure, mm. you might be mistaken to worship me. Because that's what the Corinthians are doing in the first letter of the Corinthians. Well, and some other people actually and did. Other people. They, they thought he was Zeus and Hermes and <laughs> right. stuff. I mean, like, yeah. But, but he says, my suffering is my greatest testament to my apostleship. So the more I suffer, the more I actually look like Christ because I participate in that. And it, I love which, what it, which is something that we actually experience in the church. Yeah. You guys have heard the, the phrase, um, uh, the seed of the church is the blood of the martyrs. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But yes. Hey, Ben, I'm dyslexic. Why you got to no, go on me, dude? No, no. <laughs> yeah, well, it affects it, though. Um, which, speaking of seeds again, we're back to seeds. Oh, right? Oh, that was a very good transition. But here's the... <coughs> thank you. And Paul actually goes through the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, basically saying, you know, they've got a point. You, you actually get... The thing I love about it is that you get a, the, the strongest window into Paul's prayer life. And saying, yeah, God, why am I suffering so much? Why am I getting so beat up? And you actually see him struggling through it and coming to the conclusions of, okay, this is so that your glory can be shown, right? And it's in, um, gosh, chapter 5 begins by Paul saying, we know that if the earthly tent we live in, if it's destroyed, then we've got a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It talks about us groaning in our, our earthly bodies. We're going to suffer, but the more we suffer in our bodies, the more we can remember that there's actually more glory that is to come. Mm. It's funny that he begins that chapter talking about his earthly body like a temple that is to be destroyed, because the first reading is all about the earthly temple that's going to be destroyed. And that will utterly shake the faith of Israel, because they understand that if God's not in the temple anymore, he's not anywhere. Where is he? Because that's how we know he's with us, is that there's that big, beautiful building over there. If that building's gone... What do we do? Mm. And the thing I didn't mention, actually, with yeah. the Psalms, you know, the Psalms are split into five books, five chunks, each of which are, are basically telling the whole story of salvation history. So the first two sections of the Psalter are all about when we had this kingdom and these glory days and this great temple and things were good. And then in, in book three, around, um, I, for, I forget which Psalm kind of enters into that. Don't know. But the, the, the 60s, 70s, something like that. You enter into these really dark Psalms, which are recalling the exile and, and the Psalms are all like, where are you, God? The waters have reached my neck. We can't see you, God. Why do you let us suffer so much, God? It's kind of recalling the exile. And then you get to book four, which is where this reading this week comes from, which is kind of the understanding they've come out of exile. They've been released from Babylon. They're back home, but we still don't have a temple. We still don't have a city. We still don't have a king. We actually don't have any of these things. We're free now, sort of. We're not living in slavery but all the things that reminded us of you are not there. So it's this question of when we're in the middle of suffering and when we're in the middle of sort of a spiritual blindness, how do we know that you're there? And what I love about Psalm 92 is that, and for our purposes especially, it says that there is a constant. Even if there, you know, we have the, the, the huge blessing of having the Blessed Sacrament this year at Camp Wojtyla, which we've never had before. Yeah. And there were a couple of days when we were just off property and we, we couldn't have the Blessed Sacrament stay here. We had to consume it and, and go down. And I think it kind of affected all of us. We're like, man, that's tough. 
And it's tempting to be like, well, how am I going to have prayer now? There's no tabernacle. There's no church nearby. What am I going to do? Well, the psalmist says, look, you know, I'm looking at trees growing and, and the beauty of that. I'm looking at the way that the sun crosses the sky from east to west and how it's got a perfect line. Nothing escapes the, the, the heat of the sun. That's like God. Even if I don't have this building to look to, I can just look in creation. I can see, wow, this is a temple. This is there. So what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians is, yes, I'm completely beat up, but in my suffering, in my kind of lack of understanding, lack of sight, I can understand that that's precisely where God is bringing about his glory. Just like that little um, shoot is broken off the tree and planted, and it looks kind of pathetic and insignificant, Paul says, that's what I am. I'm like the little, I'm like the little shoot that's been broken off of Old Testament Israel. I've been planted now in the land of the Gentiles among you guys. I look insignificant, but through me, there's going to be great glory because the church is going to spread to the ends of the earth in this universal way. And God is going to use my you know, smallness of stature and my poor use of words and my being imprisoned and shipwrecked and just beat up. He's going to use all of those things to make his church a universal reality, which is what he wanted it to be in the Old Testament in the first place. But Israel failed at their job in the Old Testament because they got too big on themselves. They focused on us. We are God's people and that should be enough instead of realizing, no, God is God and we are this small, insignificant shoot through which he can bring glory. Paul's coming to terms with yeah. these images, I think. So when you're, um, uh, this is just for the staff here, uh, when you're coming out of the chapel, you guys are, I have now declared what that little tree is. His name is St. Paul, okay? Oh. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Do you guys pay attention? Okay, if see, you there don't, you go. you need to go to the chapel Yeah, more. you need to go to the chapel more. And, uh, but it, it's like this little guy. And I was like, wow, look at little guy. Hi. So with that, that, now you guys know that is a sacramental for you to remind you of who, uh, especially the people to whom you serve. They may be a little small. They may be little middle schoolers, but they will grow into big, large oak. Little acorn grows large. <laughs> that was good. Well done. Which takes us to the gospel. And the gospel is, <laughs> it does. What? Does it not? Yeah, it does. It totally does. That was good. Thanks, man. Segway. Uh, so the gospel, the gospel is these two kind of weird um, parables that Jesus gives. Scattering seed and a big bush, the mustard seed. And then a small brief explanation about why he speaks in parables. This kind yeah. of closes out the gospel yeah. reading. So yeah, the gospel, it's all about seeds and um, Mark seeds 426, and if you didn't write it down. Mark 426. Here's the thing about parables. Um, does anybody know why Jesus speaks in parables? Well, they come in pairs, don't they? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Good job. Just figured I would throw that one in there. I am curious just about this group. Do you guys know why Jesus speaks in parables in the simplest terms? To help them understand. So what I always understood is that Jesus speaks in parables because they're easier to understand, right? They're agrarian. They're kind of land-based. They're like, the, you know, what we talk about up here. But he doesn't say it quite here in Mark, but in the Gospel of Matthew, he actually says something different. He says, I speak in parables so that people will not understand what I'm saying. Do you guys ever catch that? It's in, uh, what is it, Matthew 13, I believe. Yeah. He says, because the apostles are, you know, we think of Jesus, we're like, oh, he teaches in parables. That's just kind of how he teaches. That's how teachers teach then. But his apostles come to him after his first parable about the seed being scattered, and they say, hey, why are you speaking in parables? Which tells you that that's not a normal teaching style. And his answer is, well... For those of you who are sort of in and understand me, you'll have things revealed to you. For all of them out there, 
they're going to be closed off. They're not going to get it. Jesus speaks in parables to be cryptic. Make no mistake, and he's clear about that, partially because— It's the first level of encryption for all of you who are security buffs on computers. It's all of you security buffs out there. No, it is, I'm sorry. That was oh, no. That it really so wasn't, nerdy wasn't funny. Me. It was very nerdy. It was, you know, but that's that was, okay. We have a lot of nerd the, listeners. Yeah, but um, yeah, that was for you guys. <laughs> but he basically says, "Look, if people know who I am, if they understand what I'm saying, then I'm going to get convicted of treason a little bit earlier than I." <laughs> I just took a sip of really, really hot coffee. Did you spill it on your pants? Yeah, no, okay. I didn't. Thank okay. you. Okay, uh, but he <laughs> says if they realize actually what I'm actually saying, then they're going to put me to death immediately. And Jesus, I, I've told this story before. I'm sure I've said it on the podcast. Yeah, you could, they need to know. There was this, uh, when I was a focus missionary, um, that was the time in the movie the Passion, of Christ, the Passion of the Christ was coming out um, in the theaters. And they sent us this big kind of promo package, and we put up movie posters. And one of the movie posters said something like, it had the, you know, the picture of, of Jesus on the cross, the backlit picture. It said Mel Gibson. And it said, his reason for living was dying, or something like that. And I remember even at the time being uncomfortable with that. And I'm like, is that true? And the more I thought about it, the more we've been able to study this, Jesus' sole reason for living was not dying. If Jesus just came to die, he could have died when he was an infant, when Herod was trying to kill him. He could have died when the people wanted to throw him off the cliff, when they wanted to stone him. There's all sorts of stories throughout the Gospels where Jesus is actively evading death because he doesn't want to die just yet. Why? Well, what's his purpose for coming? His purpose for coming is not just to die, it's to found a church that will lead people to him. And so it's actually in the Gospels, it's only after he gives Peter the keys and says, you are now the rock, that he begins to show people who he is and stop speaking cryptically. So what he's doing in these parables, he wants to give these kind of insights into his inner group, his apostles, about who he is, but he doesn't quite want anybody else to know this yet because it's not time, because he needs to establish a church that will actually reign in his physical absence until the time that he comes again. So he's speaking in these parables, which is actually a lot like what a seed really is. Oh, yeah, that's it. That's it exactly. See, a seed is something to where you're like, oh, wow, what is this actually supposed to be? You really can't, you know, uh, determine cilantro from what's the name of the seed from cilantro? The uh, cilantro seed. Cilantro seed. I have no idea. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Coriander. coriander. Yeah, coriander. And even coriander tastes very different from cilantro. Well, you pour, you plant coriander, now all of a sudden you have wonderful guacamole. And like, this is the thing is that the scriptures are a lot. Did you just say like, you plant coriander and all of a sudden you have wonderful guacamole? Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. It's kind of a couple of steps, you know. Uh, I'm the, sure we have the, listeners who are like, I'm going to get some coriander. Yeah, <laughs> and plant it in the ground. But the, that's a lot like what the, how the, how the parables really actually work. I think it's just a great way to understand it. And that, that's part of what we're seeing here in this. Uh, it's it's cool because I I don't know about you guys you know I grew up thinking that parables were like the way to teach that's how we understand Jesus and I would read the parables and I'd be like I don't understand this <laughs> this is weird and I would just th this was the point where I would just stop reading and I would just sort of glaze over I'm like I don't know what these seeds are oh it's like a mustard seed and it's like a tree and and I would just glaze over and that's actually the effect be but like a seed, they're supposed to actually kind of grow in you. Jesus plants these things in us so they grow. And I don't know about you guys, but usually when I find something that doesn't make sense to me, what do you do when you find a puzzle that you just don't get? Well, I want to wrestle with it, and I want to keep thinking about it and turning it over in my head again and again until I can kind of figure out, okay, what does this mean? Yeah. I think that's what the parables are supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be like, wait, 
what? How is that like a mustard seed? What are, you, what are we talking about again, <laughs> right? The kingdom, and surely yeah. the apostles, they're like, okay, the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom for us? It's a big political military reality. We're waiting for our king to come back. Remember, so they're asking, so that we can have the big golden thrones at your side, right? Okay, where is it? Oh, it's like a mustard seed. Oh. What? What, are you talking about? <laughs> what does that have to do with our thrones, right? But I don't think we think about that enough. So he's, he begins by saying, uh, oh, where do we begin? Oh, 26. He said, this is how it is with the kingdom of God. And remember, he's speaking to a group of people that are waiting for their king, to literal king, not some metaphor, to come back to defeat the Romans and to build their palace again. That's all they're looking for. And he's like, this is how it is with that kingdom. If, it's like as if a man were to scatter seed on the land. He would sleep and rise in night and the day, and the seed would sprout and grow. Um, and would, would sleep in, uh, but what? And the seed would sprout and grow, and he does not, he knows not, he knows not how. Thank you. Of its own accord, the land yields fruit, the, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, he wields the sickle, and once the harvest has come. He, here's the idea. You can plant the coriander seed, right? You can right. water it. You can give it lots of sun. But there's no way to actually predict exactly when it's going to start coming out of the ground. You just don't. I don't know if you guys have planted anything. But, you know, you can – and you can do all the work. And Annie and I have this little garden in the backyard. And it's totally random. Just, you know, some things work and some things don't. It might be because we leave our garden for two months every summer that things don't work so well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But – um, but it's you can't predict, and that's what he's saying. That's kind of what's going on with the kingdom of God. He's basically saying, think back to Ezekiel, this tree that was cut down, and the seed and the sprout that was taken from the top and planted somewhere else. And they've got to be thinking to themselves, okay, when is this? We get that the tree of Israel was cut down, God. We get that Israel was knocked down. We get that there was a seed, that there was this remnant. But when is it actually going to show any, any fruit? When is it going to spring up? It's been... What has it been? Almost a thousand years now. Well, no, it's been about 500 years now, they're saying. Is that long enough? I mean, how long do we have to wait for the stinking seed to come forth? And he's basically saying, look, you have no idea when it's coming. And, and basically the parable is this encouragement who think, number two things, the people who think, and this is for us, and it's really important for us because you're going to get this, you guys specifically, not just our listeners, but you guys are going to get it when the students come to Camp Boitiwa. It's this encouragement who think, number one, that their efforts for the kingdom are not bearing fruit. Number one, you don't know when that fruit is going to come. And then on the flip side, it's a warning for those of us who think that we can bring the kingdom about just by working harder. It's a two. It's a two-edged sword, really. Yeah, and and there's also one of the things I'm seeing here is, is there's also a pattern. Jesus is actually describing his own life in the midst of this. First, the blade, then the ear. Okay, so we actually have uh, the cho the choosing. And what what happens? How does grain ripen? It it actually is going to happen within a bunch of leaves, a bunch of ears. Uh, you know, or, or sorry, sorry. The um, uh, in then which is the apostles. Jesus is actually being built up. They're understanding, they're getting it. And then as soon as it's ripe, it's going to be cut down at once. So he, Jesus is actually pointing directly towards uh, an understanding of building a church around him, having that ripen, and then having that actually fruitfulness. Now, once that's ripe, it's that fruitfulness, what is it meant for? That grain is actually meant for us to be able to be fed, which is an interesting way to totally. understand it. Totally. And then we get this other parable, right? He says, okay, let me give you another one. So for another example, to what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use for it? It's like a mustard seed. And we've heard the mustard seed one, right? It's like a mustard seed that when it is sown in the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. But once it is sown, it springs up and becomes the largest of plants and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. 
Have you heard any analogies in this reading so far about birds dwelling in the shade of something? In Ezekiel. It's Ezekiel, right? The first reading. This little shoot, this tiny little insignificant shoot that's going to be planted somewhere else on another mountain is going to grow up and do these. And Jesus is saying, look, that is the kingdom of God. It's going to be like the mustard seed, the smallest seed that a, a student once of mine gave me a bag of mustard seeds. And I never really realized just how small they are. Have you seen a mustard seed? No. Like they're really, they're really wee. Um, uh, wee? Uh, <laughs> wee? Wee little seed. Wee little seed. Um, but I think if we see this, right, what he's saying, so Jesus, does, one of the things we've talked about in our salvation history thing, Jesus, well, the, the Israelite people don't like abstractions. They don't like, oh, it's kind of like a mustard seed, and then this kingdom in the sky will look like this. He's not talking about some abstract seed that's going to grow this random abstract tree. He's talking about the seed of the gospel that he's been sowing all over the land at this point is actually going to get him buried in the ground. He will be the seed that is buried, and out of that seed that's buried literally in the ground, a tree will spring forth on another mountain, which will be the cross, which the fathers of the church all called the tree of life, the other tree in the garden, something, I, I don't know what the connection is exactly, but it is the tree that is to bring life, and from that tree, all of the birds, what does he say? The oh, birds of the, of the sky, sky can dwell in its shade. The fathers of the church were all like, oh, the birds of the sky, that's like all of the different nations, the nations and the tongues and the tribes of the world who are all going to find, I mean, think of, just on a practical level, think of the amount of people on earth who recognize and find shelter in the cross. There is not a country, not a corner of the earth that is not seeing the cross. People might not understand it. People not always might not always be drawn to it. Mm. But no, nowhere on wow. earth will you not find human beings who find their shelter in the cross, in the tree of life. There is no country on the face of the earth that doesn't have mass going on somewhere in the world at every hour of every day where we look at the cross, where we see that seed, the most insignificant seed, the smallest thing, this guy, this petty, petty criminal for all everybody thinks, who's going to be put to death on this. We, uh, the kids and I read this book. Have you guys seen the, the book, The Three Trees? It's like an old story. I love this. We, we, I should read the story of The Three Trees. It's a children's book, but it's, it's amazing. It's about these three trees who kind of grow up on this mountain, and they all have their dreams. One wants to be this great treasure chest, and one wants to be cut into a mighty sailing ship, and one wants to be – one actually just wants to stay on the mountain and point to God. And then as the story goes, these woodcutters come, and they chop them down, and the first tree is cut into this, this feed box for animals. And it's like, this sucks. <laughs> but then it becomes the feed box in which Jesus is placed, and it becomes the treasure chest. And then the next one is becomes the fishing boat that Jesus goes and calms the the storm on he's like wow i'm a matey sailing ship after all and then the third one actually becomes this goes into a lumber yard and is just put in this forgotten lumber heap and i love that imagery as i read that book always i'm like the forgotten lumber heap this random wood and, the, and the, even the the lumberjack in the story is like i don't care what kind of tree i have it doesn't matter it's just forgotten wood this insignificant shoot this insignificant seed that will be yanked from a wood pile i mean imagine that you're the guy whose job it is to pull the wood off of the pallets that morning to make the cross. Whatever. You don't care. You're just pulling wood. But you're pulling the wood that will be remembered, that will change the course of human history forever. I mean, just, just imagine these little insignificant things that build into great things. I mean, what, did it, what was he looking at? He's like, oh, I'm going to choose that piece of wood 
for what reason? I don't know. I love kind of meditating That's on those beautiful. random things because, again, these are what the readings are. When you feel insignificant, when you feel like nothing I'm doing has any makes any difference, none of it makes any sense, it doesn't matter – those are the moments that God is going to bring the greatest glory. And I think that's important for us to remember as the first group of middle schoolers is going to show up on Sunday and you're going to do things that seem totally insignificant and that seem like they're making absolutely no difference. You listeners, you know, as you commute back and forth to work, as you're folding the laundry, as you're making food and packing the lunches, doing whatever you're doing that you think is totally insignificant, makes no difference. Those are the shoots that God is going to bring forth to bring the greatest glory. And yeah. it's always like the, like the seeds, they spring forth when we least expect it. And you pop out in the morning, you're like, oh my gosh, it's, it's, there's, there's a shoot. We, Lily, uh, my daughter, planted this little, I don't, I don't even remember what it was, uh, this little bean thing. And every morning she would look at her little bean pot on the, on the counter in the kitchen and be like, are there leaves yet? Nope. Are there leaves yet? Nope. And then this one day, she, it, she wasn't even paying attention. It was like the one day she didn't come to the kitchen to look. And I was like, Lily, look. And she was like, ah, it's coming up. And it's dead now because we forgot about it. Don't tell her. Um, oh. there's, maybe there's a metaphor in there, too. <laughs> oh, and, and, and not only in your own life, but in the lives of others. I mean, like, I think that that's just one of the things, like, there was a moment in a retreat where um, a gentleman was just, all he wanted to do was leave. He just was like, I just want to go. This is horrible. I hate this retreat. And I was like, okay, why don't you just come hang out with me? We'll make a phone call and get somebody to come pick you up. And as we were sitting there, we ended up talking and just was like, well, what's wrong? And it was actually in that moment that the first leaves of this man's religious vocation came. All he wanted to do was bail, and now he's a consecrated. And it's like one of those moments to where it's like those little tiny shoots. And like, because the seed of the word, um, it, is, it is scattered abundantly. And so just to pay attention. So that's awesome. Thank you guys for being with us this morning and paying attention um, and laughing at all of my jokes. You guys now know my role in the Lanky Guys. True. No, no, no. Don't be self-deprecating to make them laugh. No, see, this is is the problem in life. No, sometimes sometimes I got it and sometimes Scott's got it. And today, Scott, you had it, man. You're like on it. You studied. I just figure if I talk enough, something will come out. Yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's sort of my strategy. Yeah, that's beautiful. All right, you guys, we will be back next week with a brand new episode. Send us an email, lankyguys at thomascenter.org. Find us online, um, Facebook, Twitter. We want to give a huge shout-out. I almost forgot. We have one of the greatest blessings that Cambodia has ever had here this week. During staff training, we have the Sisters of Life with us today. Yeah! Which also made me particularly nervous for saying something stupid today. But we're so excited <laughs> to have Sister Faith and Sister Virginia Joy all the way from the Bronx to be with us, uh, which is so cool. We're so we're so blessed at Camp Boitio. We have priests from all over the country. We have seminarians. We have religious sisters who come in and out of these programs. So we're so blessed. So guys, you listeners, please pray for us this summer. We have a, a big group of uh, middle schoolers coming. We're going to take them on some adventures. Pray for those little hearts that they may see Jesus Christ in a profound way. Pray for Amen. our staff. Pray for our religious um, and pray for us. And we will be back next week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being here. You're awesome. See you next week. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.